0: Why don't we, uh, let's begin with a short prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, time we have at Eastern Camp here to discuss this uh, very uh, relevant uh, and politically sensitive topic. We thank you, Lord, for the guidance we have in your word, and we pray as we would discuss this that you would uh, provide wisdom and insight that we all could uh, learn to understand uh, how to respond to this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this session, there's gonna, going to be s- uh, several sections of interaction. And uh, we have two mics up here, Josiah and uh, maybe I'll ask Brother Joe if you could run on one side and Josiah on the other side uh, during those spots um, to get some of your feedback here. And so for those coming in, please come up to the front. Don't, don't keep filling up the back. Um, so what we're going to talk about is what the right focus is as we think about this subject, where are we today, some of the, the realities of what that means, what does science say about this, and why is gender important, an important part of God's creation. Uh, some of the younger folks are asking, why does it even matter? Um, some, most of us have taken that for granted, and now there's, they're coming up with some good questions about that, so we need to f- uh, understand what that is. And then finally, what is the right way to respond in light of all of this? So, my own personal experience in this: I had a coworker who has a child that uh, came out as transgender a number of years ago, which was just really odd to me. I didn't really understand that. And uh, then later on, um, as especially in Canada, we're uh, unfortunately probably a decade or so ahead of many of the places in the U.S. But if you haven't really experienced it yet, and uh, if the trends continue the way you are, you will. Um, And what happened was uh, was uh, probably the beginning of the year. uh, There was an article at a school in Los Angeles where more than 25% of the kids in high school no longer identified as a binary gender, neither male nor female. And so it's radically changing in a cultural shift never seen before at this at this kind of rate. So did a lot of research. Uh, And uh, the the bulk of what we're going to walk through today is a sort of a... uh Gathering of multiple people's uh, perspectives. So this is Dr. Mark Yarhouse. He's probably the most influential um, f- with a lot of the thoughts that are in this presentation. I, uh, I, incidentally, he actually went to the Apostolic Christian Church Counseling Center in, um, that's what we normally say is a sister church, and uh, spent a number of days with them, with their counselors uh, not too long ago, walking them through how to best uh, deal with this uh, identity Uh, gender identity issue. Then there's also the president of the American College of Pediatrics, uh, pediatricians, uh, quote her a number of things, and also uh, was uh, talked to Dr. Ted Witzik, who is also at the Apostolic Christian Church Counseling, and some uh, feedback also from Brother Ed Yon, who is on our counseling uh, committee as well. Those of you coming in, come on up to the front. Lots of room here on the side. Uh, We like to keep it as close as possible um, as we'll pass the mic around. Um, this is not necessarily a reflection of any of these views in particular, um, because it's a it's a it's a, a conglomerate of multiple perspectives from these uh, these individuals. The political focus, as we've seen in the newspaper stuff, is primarily about rights. I deserve this. I need to be uh, representative, represented rather, in the schools, in the workplace, and these things. And we have that in our workplace and probably many of you as well. But especially in the schools, it's about rights. Um, but if you look at the biblical focus, our chief concern must be about people. These are people, these are families that are dealing with this and struggling with understanding how to uh, process what's happening. And I'd like to share a video here. And as you look at this video, it's a few minutes long, a true story. Uh, I'm going to read it uh, just for the sake of the recording. And after the video, I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm going to get your reflections on what your thoughts are about this family's experience. For those of you coming in, come on up to the front. There's a lot of room here on the left. Or if you're up front here as well. In early 2007, we were surprised with the news that Hillary was pregnant with our first child. They told us we were having a baby girl. We decided to name her Ryland. And we planned accordingly. She was healthy, beautiful, and happy. Around her first birthday, we learned Ryland was deaf. We were heartbroken. And soon, on our way to cochlear implants, with a lot of hard work, Ryland learned to hear and speak. We thought we had faced our toughest challenges. But Ryland had more to share with us. As soon as Ryland could speak, she would scream, I am a boy. She began to show aversion to anything feminine. It was easiest to call Ryland a tomboy. Some told us it was just a phase. The trouble was phases end. This was only getting stronger. Ryland began to display increasing amounts of shame. She said, when the family dies, I will cut off my hair so I can be a boy. Through tears she asked, why did God make me like this? She may have only been five years old, but we needed to start truly listening. Something more was happening inside of Ryland. We sought the help of professionals and experts while researching everything we could. We all came to the same conclusion. Ryland is transgender. Although Ryland was born with a female anatomy, her brain identifies with that of a boy. Through our research, we discovered a disturbing statistic. 41% 41% of transgender people have attempted suicide due to lack of societal acceptance. The national average is 4.6. We were not willing to take that risk. For her, Ryland's well-being, we were advised to allow him to transition as soon as possible. We cut his hair... We changed pronouns to him and he. We changed his room. We sent out a letter to friends and family explaining our change. We lost a few, but the people who truly matter stuck by us. What we have learned is that most children realize their true gender between three to five years of age. Rylan's gender identity was not caused by her parenting style, family structure, relative to the horrific things that people have to endure with their children. All of this is nothing. He is still healthy, handsome, and extremely happy. We signed up as parents with no strings attached. This is our family. And this is our amazing son. Okay, I want to get a couple of reactions to that, sort of as you think through of the, what they were processing as a family, any feedback on some of the things that, you know, they had to work through in their feelings, things that stood out to you as surprising... Mm-hmm. i think it's telling
1: of the fact that so many people in our
0: i think it's telling of the f- is the mic on black mic try it again
1: i think it's telling of the fact that so many people in our day am i gonna keep talking
0: okay is it on, it's on. <laughs> okay it's on now thank you all right
1: last try um, in, two, oh, there we go. in 2019, I think it's telling of the fact that so many people are so willing to just buy into this um, mental disorder in the, under the guise of calling it loving and accepting, and that mm-hmm. this is what God wants, this is what God meant when he said, come as you are, accept everybody, love everybody. And they're not wrong. You do have to accept people, but that it doesn't mean that you have to stay the same. Mm -hmm. So just because some people have different trials or difficulties in their life that maybe none of us here have ever um, identified with or will be ever able to relate to doesn't mean that it's an okay thing and that it's something that is normal or um, God-approved.
0: And we'll go through that later in the presentation, so thank you for sharing that. Any other thoughts on what was shared here?
2: One thought that I have is um, we need to be very careful of which experts we consult when Mm -hmm. we have a really difficult problem. Parenting runs into all kinds of difficult challenges, and the kinds of experts we consult can make a huge difference in Mm -hmm. where we go.
0: Exactly. Very very good point. Think about the, you know, what the parents were told. 41% of them will attempt suicide and the national average is 4.6. This is the reason. Hey, I'm a parent. I'm in charge. I've got to do something about this. The experts are telling me to do this. This will fix the problem. Well, let's see how well that they're... Uh, basically what the statistics bear out uh, from that. Um, so the question is, how should we respond? And, 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 of course, our greatest challenge is to respond with both compassion and truth because truth without compassion is mere legalism. And the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, the letter of the law kills in that sense that if you, it's just all about truth and, and, and there's no compassion, it's, it's leads to legalism and death. But compassion without truth is more mere just emotionalism or sentimentalism is just to feel good. And eventually, if you don't live according to truth, bad things will happen. You can't ignore certain realities. Um, and compassion and truth is the way of Jesus. If you think of the way uh, he responded to the woman caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn thee. Um, In other words, compassion, but the truth was, go and sin no more, or in John 1, it says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and that's what we're called to, how to respond with both compassion and truth. So if we take a few minutes to think about where we are as a culture. So traditionalists, which is probably, I would expect all of us to share this perspective, that our gender is fixed and binary. There's only two, male and female, and they reflect biological reality. And what we saw just in this... uh, Ryland's story here is there's uh, some revisionists that come along, what we'll call the essentialists, that these gender identity is, is, is still biologically fixed, but may not reflect the, the biological anatomy. So this is the you know, theory that girl's brain is trapped in a boy's body, or vice versa, and the the culture popularized this a number of years ago, still very popular sort of theory that is still binary in the sense that you are one or the other. It is still determined at birth. You don't know it when you're born. And in Ontario, uh, just a number of years ago, they changed our birth certificates where you could say male, female, or unknown, or not yet known, and let the child decide what gender they are. But in that sense, it's still considered fixed. And there's a lot of popular songs that talk about that, uh, our sexuality, our gender, gender, all these things are fixed, but you know, we're, we're there to discover what they are. They are not given, they're not given to us at birth, in that sense, uh, or known at birth, maybe is a better way to say that. So this is probably the most popular uh, transgender uh, man, who was Bruce uh, Bruce uh, Jenner, was an Olympic athlete, and uh, back in 2015, um, he transitioned to Caitlyn Jenner, here on the right, and uh, his um, <clears throat> came out in Vanity Fair, front cover, I think in 2017. And a uh, quote from him Bruce had always had to tell a lie. He was always living that lie every day. Now, Caitlin. Doesn't have any secrets. As soon as this Vanity Fair cover comes out, I am free. But if you read that, what secrets is this picture hiding? You read his experience and you think, uh, you know, he, 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 you know, just read some quotes. You wonder if you are making all the right decisions. I wish I were kind of normal. It would be so much more simple. And there's a lot of pain and suffering. He had a divorce. His family broke up as a result of this. Um, many surgeries, uh, countless surgeries, literally, and multiple years of pain going through the complete reshaping, both top surgery, bottom surgery, face surgery, getting all the electrolysis to get rid of all the... Uh, the um, the, the hair that that uh, men have is f- from their beard and the rest of the body, and just as he, as he describes his experience, weeks he'd be on the couch with ice packs and swollen everything, and and you know just the pain and suffering. It took multiple years for him to, in that sense, transition. But when he tweeted, she tweeted. Uh, I'm so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. Welcome to the world, Caitlin. Can't wait for you to get to know her and me. This is the most popular tweet ever. Um, And uh, in four hours, I think it had four million uh, retweets and and several million followers. So this was uh, uh, something that really took our culture by storm uh, two years ago. Then... There's this third perspective, which is the uh, culturalist, this is now becoming more mainstream, is that gender is purely a social or cultural construct, construct, and therefore gender, t- gender identity is fluid, and it's a matter of personal choice. So you can identify with either, and you can change that from week to week, month to month, year to year. It's fluid. And some say, I'm not binary at all. It depends how I feel. And... Um, this was uh, uh, here in Canada back in 2017. Gemma Hickey wins the battle for gender-neutral birth certificate. And uh, the quote here, identity is a very personal thing for people, and people can choose for themselves how they choose to identify. Nobody should be telling them. Um, and now our Canadian birth certificate, not only can you choose your gender, but you can have up to four parents that you can put on your birth certificate, even though biology says you can only have two um, So this is sort of this reflection of the post-truth culture that we live in. So if you think of this, this is not just a collision between the traditionalist or the biblical view versus these views, but the views themselves are um, mutually exclusive. They can't be both. You can't say that it's fixed at birth, we just don't know what it is, we'll discover it later, versus, oh, uh, you you can just choose it. Um, so both from our cultural perspective, they are not aligned. And um, we'll, in, in general, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. And we'll see exactly how, from a cultural perspective how this is all going to play out uh, in, the fall, in the next number of years. So a couple of things to, ide- uh, to spend a few minutes on the uh, definition. So gender identity is how we experience ourselves male or female, or how masculine or feminine a person feels. And there's generally quite a spectrum of that. You have sort of on the you know, alpha male all the way on one side, you know, the traditional football player, you know, tough guy, to somebody who's a lot more you know, the po- poet or artistic uh, uh, you know, musician, those kinds of things. So you have that kind of spectrum there. And, of course, you also have the, the feminine spectrum on the same side. <clears throat> so there is a wide variety of that, um, and there's definitely overlap. Uh, in some some ways, on how that 's expressed, and gender dysphoria is the experience of distress associated when the gender identity does not match one bio- one 's biological uh, sex so transgender is um, is uh, an umbrella term for how somebody might experience or express themselves, their gendered differently from people whose sense of gender, de- gender identity is con- congruent with their biological sex. So somebody says, look, I don't feel like I'm a male, I'm gonna be a female, I'm gonna start acting and dressing and how the culture expresses femininity. Versus transsexual is somebody who goes the next step after that who then starts taking hormones and even has uh, surgery to actually change their body to reflect what they feel as their gender. So this is the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, says that this is the percentage, .0005% to .0014% of males and even less of females experience gender dysphoria. Dysphoria, again, means just feeling uncomfortable with the gender that you currently have. Very, very, very small number. And uh, among children, it is estimated the majority who consider themselves transgender no longer do so beyond adolescence. Now, think of that study I cited earlier where now 25% of uh, some high school in Los Angeles no longer identify as binary. Totally different percentage at this point. And why do you think that's happening? Where is this all coming from? Any thoughts? Okay, social media. Mm-hmm. See, so here's the, Just wait for the mic.
3: I attended a conference in April, and one of our guest speakers spoke on this, and uh, he was a medical doctor, um, and um, he believes that um, our teenagers are if they're a little bit socially awkward or they are they're just not fitting into their peer group they're seeking and I'm not saying all all people who identify themselves in this group but a large percentage of them in his personal practice as a physician his observation was that because they're not fitting in and they're experiencing social awkwardness or some you know dysfunction in that area because they're seeking for an area of of acceptance they're seeking this because this is this is the this is the thing that's the biggest that's right. getting the biggest press and um and so they feel a lot they feel socially justified by uh lumping themselves into this uh, group and you know he says he really advises the parents to really consider strongly before they start giving their 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 teenagers Um, powerful psychotropic drugs to help them in this transition process because a lot of them after a few months or a short period of time they they move on you know this this kind of phases out of their life normally.
0: Excellent yes thank you for sharing that very important point Uh, seeking stability in a time during adolescence when many are struggling to figure out who they are, where they belong, and uh, my own experience going through teenage years, adolescence, was a difficult time, and uh, there wasn't really an option to consider other possibilities, but somebody could easily latch on to that. Oh, that's because I'm, you know, I'm actually this, and then they go in that direction, and they recognize, well, actually, that didn't really solve anything. Um, So... (coughs) The almost universally enforced treatment today, and most notably applied to children, is you need to affirm, the, or this is the advice from the quote experts, affirm the child's self-declared identity and accommodate through social transition initially, then start on hom- hormonal therapy, and then even to the point of sex reassignment surgery. And sadly, in Ontario, um, the children can choose this without parental consent. And uh, they can't drive until they're 16, they can't uh, even drink until they're 21, they can't even consider, you know, signing any contracts until they're 18, but something as important as this, they can do it as early as 10 years old. There's something massively wrong with this. So this is uh, quoting from Dr. Michelle Critella, that she's the uh, president of the American Association for Pediatricians. So she said, there are at least 6,500 genetic differences between men and women, and hormones and surgeries cannot and will not change this. And to indoctrinate all children from preschool forward with this lie that they could be trapped in the wrong body disrupts the very foundation of a child's reality testing. If they can't trust the reality of their physical bodies, who or what can they trust? Transgender ideology in schools is psychological abuse that often leads to chemical castration, sterilization, and surgical mutilation. And so this is a quote, because uh, she goes, if I were to say, doctor, I'm suicidal because I'm an amputee trapped in a normal body. Please cut off my leg. I will be diagnosed with body identity integrity disorder. Yes, there is such a thing as that. Um, but if I walk into that, doctors often say, I want to be a man. Sign me up for a double mastectomy. My physician will. See, if you want to cut off a leg or an arm... You're mentally ill and counseled as such, but if you want to cut off healthy breasts, or, or uh, <clears throat> you're then considered transgender. No one is born transgender. If gender b- identity were hardwired in the brain before birth, identical twins would have the same gender, d- gender identity 100% of the time, but they don't. Again, I'm quoting from her. Um, said, I had one patient we'll call Andy between the ages of three and five. He increasingly played with girls and girl toys and said he was a girl. I referred the parents and Andy to a therapist. Sometimes mental illness of a parent or abuse of the children or child are factors, but more commonly, the child has a misperceived family dynamic and has internalized a false belief. In the middle of one of the sessions, Andy put down the toy truck, held onto a Barbie and said, Mommy and Daddy, you don't love me when I'm a boy. When Andy was three, his sister with special needs was born and required significantly more of his parents' attention. Andy misperceived this as mommy and daddy love girls. If I want them to love me, I have to be a girl. With family therapy, Andy got better. Today, Andy's parents would be told, this is who Andy really is. You must ensure that everyone treats him as a girl or else he will commit suicide. As Andy approaches puberty, then experts would put him on puberty blockers so he can continue to impersonate a girl. Imagine the transition that has happened here in our culture in order for us to get to this point. Now, if only that would fix the problem. But, again, according to Dr. Mark Yarhouse, long-term studies found that the substantially higher rates of overall mortality, death from cardiovascular disease uh, due to hormonal therapy, and suicide attempts in psychiatric hospitalizations, even after they've had the surgery, is much higher than a healthy control population. And this highlights that post-surgical are still a risk group that need constant follow-up. Even though hormonal therapy may alleviate gender dysphoria, it is apparently not sufficient to remedy the high rates of mortality found among these people. So remember uh, Ryland's story? The parents were terrified that if they don't do something, that that, that she's at high risk of suicide. But the reality is, even if they go through it, that risk is still extremely high. And there's something deeper here that's going on. But there's also this aspect, a whole new movement that's happening for those who have transitioned, recognize they didn't fix anything and cause a lot more problems, and now they're detransitioning back. And so... There is extreme cultural pres- pressure to reject that notion because once they have come out and said, I am a different gender, parents often not only support but become advocates for this. Their school and friends bend over backwards to accommodate this transition. And since this, the, the current cultural or political narrative is that this is now moving to embrace your true self, you're going through this, you're celebrating that now you're actually a different gender, to actually go back is being treated as a deception, saying no, no, you're 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 actually wrong. You shouldn't be treat detransitioning, and it's kind of this reverse psychology that's happening. And so, for those who are detransitioning because they realize they made a mistake, they're not being accepted. They're being maligned to the side. And uh, just uh, two stories here. One, uh, Carrie Stella. She born as a female um, and uh, socially transitioned to a male at age 15. She couldn't didn't want to grow up as a female, then she became homo- hormonal therapy at age 17, and then five years later, at age 22, she realized this is not working. She wants to detransition back to a female, but now lives with this scarred chest, broken voice, and a five o'clock shadow because I couldn't face the idea at 15 years old of growing up to be a woman. Lifelong consequences, for that decision, but now faces this public criticism from within the transgender movement rather than being embraced as part of that diversity. Of course, their narrative is diversity, embrace everything. They're not willing to embrace this because it's an affront to their values that they're espousing um, for what it means to be a trans. So, just a two-minute video here of uh, an older man that went through his life i think is very uh, interesting
2: my name is Walt and i used to be a transgender In fact, I live...
0: so if you look here he transgendered says finally at 42 years old he sat down with his wife and told her everything that had been happening we need to divorce and i need to change genders he announced she exploded. This is even more devastating because the kids were involved in this kind of pain. And the article goes on to describe the kind of pain that they went through as he wanted to transition. So this is what he looked like in 1977. He transitioned to a female in 84 and then transitioned back. And this is the message that he's trying to send to the culture. Turn it up.
2: The reason I'm no longer a transgender is because I found the truth. And I found out... Uh, It took me a long time to discover the truth, but I started my journey of what they call transgenderism uh, at the age of four and struggled with my gender identity for most of my life and uh, eventually got married uh, in my early 20s, had two children. I was an executive for an automobile company. I worked on the Apollo space missions as a associate design engineer on cryogenic connectors, and struggled still with my identity until I went to one of those people they call experts in gender identity. In fact, the guy I went to was the guy who authored the original Harry Benjamin International Standards of Care. So he was an expert. And so he diagnosed me with gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria and said the cure for your problems that started when you were four was hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery. And so I went through the protocols spent the 2 years between the time I was first diagnosed uh, wondering uh, if this was going to work and eventually in April of 1983 I underwent gender reassignment surgery in Trinidad Colorado it was a few years after that about 5 or 6 years after that i began to study psychology and of addictions at uh, UC Santa Cruz and began to crack open the books and found out that uh, people who identify as a transgender are actually suffering from a variety of what they call comorbid disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and many other disorders that the people who are experts, like my doctor was, never pay any attention to. And it's, frankly speaking, from my point of view as a former young child who did this, it's child abuse and it shouldn't be done.
0: So then he transitioned after a number of years, recognized that it didn't fix anything, transitioned back to a male, and now he's a strong advocate, uh, uh, basically a warning to the culture, don't do this, this is child abuse. So uh, the parents of transgender kids, they fee- face extreme social pres- pressure to affirm the child's self-identity, and, and you know, this is a real attention-getter, just like you know, we were heard from the earlier story, I believe the name was Adam. You know, we wanted attention. The way to get attention is say, I'm trans, and right away, the oxygen gets sucked out of the room. The focus is entirely on this, on this person to accommodate um, their desire. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Those who do it are, are, are considered wonderful, accepting, and loving, and those who question it are wondering, wait wait a second, what's going on, rather than immediately accepting it, are considered un- unaccepting, lacking in affection, and too conservative. But what does science have to say about this? Because sometimes they you know, re- reference science, and so this is coming from the Times, which is a very prominent uh, uh, newspaper in the uh, UK, uh, published here uh, last year. It says... The the article, front page article, Science Pinpoints DNA Behind Gender Identity. Wow, they finally found it. But you actually read the article and look what it says. It says, transgender men and women may carry genetic variants. A study suggests, this doctor stressed that a relatively small number of subjects involved, yet there's no proof that any individual variant was involved in gender dysphoria. The study which was presented, blah, 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 has yet to go through peer review and some of its findings may be down to chance really? This is a front page article in a prominent uh, newspaper that, you know, most people, again, this is like a two-page article, most people don't read to the bottom of it, so at least in that sense they're being honest, but they sort of push this to the end, and yet trumpet that science has pinpointed the DNA. But what if science does confirm a genetic correlation, We don't know. Maybe there is something that we just haven't found yet. But look at all the other articles that have been published over the years that indicate alcoholism has some genetic uh, base for it. Somebody has a predisposition or is more easily uh, addicted to alcohol. Or somebody who is more angry or explosive that uh, there's some genetic uh, case for that. Or depression or autism or uh, Parkinson's or anxiety. All of these things. Uh, even if there is a uh, genetic basis for it, the question is, so what? Just because if somebody is born this way, science can really only tell us about how we are in the sense that if there is some genetic variance there, in a very limited way, but that doesn't necessarily say that we should be this way. So if I have a predisposition to becoming an alcoholic, does that excuse me to say, well, too bad, my genes told me this, I'm just hardwired for this, drink away. No, we don't treat that as a culture. We realize that this is a real danger or somebody who explodes in anger has a rage problem. You don't just accept that, you need to work through that to um, deal with the situation now the big question is is the cause of this gender dysphoria is that nature as in are we born this way or is it nurture is it how we are brought up we see examples in both and in that sense there isn't yet uh, a, a general theory that encompasses everything of why gender dysphoria is caused. Sometimes it's social construct, Sometimes it is a family thing. Sometimes even if everything else is "quote" normal, somebody still struggles with their gender uh, identity. But it should be noted that for the majority, this identification is comorbid. In other words, there's other things associated uh, with mental health issues, and that can't be denied. But what is the truth about gender? So if we look at uh, the scripture in Colossians, which says, for by him were all things created, Um, if this is true, which we believe it is, we believe the Bible is true, then only God can tell us this. So if we look back to Genesis, the first chapter, it says, so God created mankind in his own image, and it specifically says he created male and female. But why did he do it this way? Um, We have some clues throughout the scripture of why both male and female are really important constructs that God created. So if you look at the... uh, um, I'll just go through three of them just because we're limited in time. Uh, We can reflect God's holiness in that way. When we say, you know, God is holy, we sometimes think about just being morally pure and being sinless. And yes, it's true in that sense. It does mean that. But it really means to be set apart In the scripture in Exodus, it says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the God? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in glory, doing wonders? And you think of how he did this in Leviticus. He separated out the priests, uh, the Levitical tribe. He called them holy because they were dedicated to the the service in the temple. And then he also... uh, God makes other things holy by separating them, setting them apart. So you remember in Genesis 2, he created the seventh day and he said he set that apart for a specific purpose and he called that holy. And God's holiness is reflected in everything that he's created including our gendered bodies. That he's created them differently, uniquely, and for a special purpose. Why is that? So we can reflect God's being. We know that we believe God is a trinity. We see sort of this uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not in the sense, uh, they're, they're all one, but they have different functions. And we have unity as in one God, but we have diversity in three persons. And then it says in Genesis, therefore God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So it's not a surprise then that if you look at the the, the Trinity here, that as He created man and then woman, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, representing unity, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Diversity. Diversity. And we see this beauty in a properly functioning marriage, for example, how both sexes, both genders provide um, critical nurture that's n- necessary to raise a healthy family. Yes, God is not limited by that, but that is his design. So in a, in a sense that there are times where there are single-parent families and uh, it's, a, it's a much more difficult uh, responsibility. And so God is not limited that he can't work through any one uh, single gender, but his design is to reflect his holiness and his being and his beauty in the diversity of the genders and as he brings them together. So then we see this, uh, the third reason the truth about gender is we can reflect God's love for His creation. The Apostle Paul writes, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And of course he's quoting Genesis 2.24 there. And he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The love that we see between a man and a woman in a properly functioning marriage is a reflection or a shadow of what we see with Christ and the church. But what has gone wrong as we look at sort of and all of us have experienced the probably most of us have experienced the beauty of what both genders can bring to life in in God's created order. But what really has gone wrong, you know, we saw Ryland asking the question, why did God make me like this? But really, the question is, for the whole world, is why are any of us like this, uh, the way we are? Any true answer, we have to look at the scripture to understand um, the basis, of the answer for this question. So, if you think of the, the scripture in Colossians, which says, And you that were sometimes alienated, enemies in your mind, yet now hath he reconciled. And then in Ephesians, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance. So the question is, according to the gospel, how are all of us? All of us are alienated from the, because we live in a fallen world, we are not as we are supposed to be. And that is reflected in different ways in different people's lives. So whether it's our heart is disordered, our soul, or spirit is disordered, our mind can be disordered. There's mental disorders. There's all kinds of things. There's anxiety, and a number of a number of us have ex- experienced. Uh, probably all of us have experienced disorders in all of these areas. Our body is disordered, especially as you age, you start noticing this one more and more. And in general, we're alienated by sin, cut off from God as the the, the uh, in His holiness, He cannot, um, we, we cannot have fellowship with him in this, um, um, in this state, maybe is the best way to say that. And if we fail to see ourselves and evaluate our own experiences through this lens of alienation first, we will fail to respond to the gender struggling person in the way of Jesus. And Gender struggling is just yet one more way that the sinful world that we live in is that this is manifested. And really, um, the only answer to this is spiritual transformation and we hear about the, we've hear we heard about this a number of times this week already and of course in our home churches that God's desire is to transform us so that he has broken down this middle wall of partition so that we can have fellowship with him and to fix all of these disordered things that are in our lives but we also recognize even when we are transformed it doesn't necessarily mean these struggles go away <clears throat> in fact those of us that are are converted, we realize that the many of the things that we struggle with prior to conversion and maybe gave into on a regular basis Some of them were healed completely from, but others we still have to struggle for the rest of our life because we live in flesh and blood. And and, 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 and in some ways, if you think of somebody who has a mental disorder, schizophrenia, or these a number of other things, once they become converted, it can help, but they still may require treatment to um, handle sometimes the chemical imbalance or other things that they're dealing with. And so, um, when somebody is converted. And experiences that spiritual transformation, it doesn't mean that the gender dysphoria they may be experiencing will just vanish. In many cases, it becomes a lot easier to deal with because their identity is now found in Christ rather than in their specific gender. Um, and. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul. I forget the reference is when it says we are neither Greek uh, nor Jew, nor um, it gives a whole list, neither male or female, but we are all one in Christ. That regardless of the experience that we have, God made it such that we can become one in Christ and find our identity and our base in Him. Um. Growing up, uh, Darlene, my wife, uh, she felt uh, she was very competitive in sports, and in a sense, some would see her as a tomboy. And uh, those who experience more sort of tomboy attributes today in school will be told, well, maybe you're actually not a female. You maybe should consider her to be a trans. And, and uh, those of you who know her know she's very feminine and is very comfortable in her gender and, <coughs> in a sense, is... Um, A comment earlier I think Brother Dan mentioned is be careful of which experts you consult and which material you read because it could lead you down the wrong path. And so the beginning place for any response is to recognize that um, we can only find our true identity uh, in God himself and when we're estranged from the creator we will continually experience a painful self of unsatisfied longing and I have spoken to multiple teenagers who were dealing with anxiety and wondering who they are and when they became converted it became a lot easier because their identity was found in Christ and it gave them that rock its solid uh, foundation to be able to grow on um, So there's three lenses I'd like to leave you with um, for how to view um, not only this just gender identity uh, or gender dysphoria topic that we've been talking about, but generally any sort of disorder that we come across in our life. And that's the integrity lens, the disability lens, and the diversity lens. And each of these lenses have both pros and cons. So the integrity lens says truth is the most important and of course this has a number of pros or a number of things that from a lens perspective are correct that we need to view it and let's I'll take a few minutes just shout out any things that you think why this lens what are the positive aspects of viewing any disorder through this lens truth is reality, truth is reality. okay good it's objective thank you hmm Okay, God is truth and wants the best for us and the only way to experience that is to acknowledge the truth. Thank you. Without truth as the we'll reach the wrong okay, without truth as a foundation we'll always reach the wrong conclusion. Excellent. Brother Bob? It creates clarity. clarity. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent answer. So, <clears throat> feelings are subjected to the truth of Scripture rather than compromise with the political, cultural view of the day. And of course, Jesus, he said to Pilate, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. That's how important truth was, that he was willing to you know, come down from heaven, bear witness unto the truth, and even die for the truth. Now, what are the downsides if our lens, if the only lens we're looking through is the, the lens from the truth perspective, what are sometimes the, some of the negative side effects of that if it's not properly balanced? It's truth, as you might see it. it's truth as you might see it, so you, you may not have the full picture. Mm-hmm. Lack, of lack of compassion? Good. Judgmental, Judgmental. Judgmental exactly. And so it's typically not balanced sufficiently with grace and compassion, and struggling people feel judged, rejected, and afraid to seek help, because now they're going to be labeled. They say, wow, you're struggling with this? Ooh, you know, we're going to put a label on you, and uh, now people will view you differently and will judge. You'll be judged accordingly, and I've heard this from multiple sources that people are struggling with various disorders. That's why people are afraid to share sometimes their struggles, because of this very reason. <clears throat> Okay, so now we have the disability lens. And uh, this was not what was meant to be. And when I was growing up, this was just coming to the end of that, uh, earlier than my generation. But if you, had, you were struggling with eyesight, you were called all kinds of four eyes and you know, all kinds of different names, you were labeled that way, and people did not want to wear glasses. So we had contact lenses and other things to try to you know, make that more uh, <coughs> uh, convenient. Today, I, for decades, I have not heard that anymore, and I, uh, I had to have surgery in order to correct my vision, and if I look across the audience. We have lots of people who are wearing glasses, and I'm sure many more who are wearing contact lenses, and that's no longer considered a detriment or a disability in that sense, but <clears throat> Our eyesight is not meant to that we can't see. So there, if we view it through the disability lens of seeing any of these disorders, and in particular the gender dysphoria as a disorder, what are some of the positives that we could see if we're looking at it through the disability lens? Compassion. Okay, compassion. Uh huh. Address the problem. Address the problem. You recognize that as a disability. You say this is not what it should be. Let me do something about it. A, uh, hope for some help. Hope for some help. Exactly very good. So <clears throat> we recognize that we're broken by sin. We're in a fallen creation. We are meant to be overcomers and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If we think of, you know, I have a disorder with my leg. I'm going to you know, go get it addressed. But in a sense, if it's my mind, the scripture tells us we have been given the power once we are spiritually transformed to bring every thought, all of these things that we struggle with, to the obedience of Christ, to the truth in the scripture. Now, what are some of the downsides from the disability lens if that's the only lens we're looking f- looking through? Could be, a, could be like fault finding or blame. Fault, fault finding find or blame. Use mm-hmm. as an excuse. Use an excuse, yeah. Very good. Can become an excuse or the person is viewed through their disability. And of course, we can think of all kinds of disordered. You know, if we... Um, Think of an eating disorder. Somebody has an eating disorder. Now we label them and see them as, their, as, as, as this, uh, um, see them through this disorder. We think, oh, there goes second helping Bertha, or there goes diabetic Douglas, or there goes four-eyes Fritz, or there goes angry Adolf, right? These are, uh, if we just see them as the label, um, then we're not really seeing the true person. And that's one of the, the, the um Risks that we have if we just look through things from the disability perspective. So now we have the last lens to look things through is the diversity lens. And this is generally what our culture is, is saying. Not everyone fits in the same mold. Differences should be celebrated. And yes, there are positives to this one, too. It's not all negative. What are some of the positives from this lens? Except the fact that God made everyone different? Yes. Mm-hmm. God, we're we are unique, in fact. Yes, there are some common base things that God created. But I look across the audience, every single one of you are unique. Unique. And totally tolerant. Pardon? Totally tolerant. Tolerant. So... <clears throat> There are significant differences in God's creation. Ephesians four, we talk about sort of the whole body, as the the apostle Paul uses that. You know, all the diversity of the body itself—the fingers and the toes and the nose and the and the ears and all these things—how all different functions when they're working together correctly, that diversity provides beauty and um, it can accomplish things that 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 uh, things without that diversity could not accomplish. Because if you only had a leg, how are you going to do? What's your leg going to do by itself? Nothing. It's going to be useless. Um, and so it's important to recognize a significant difference in God's creation to see the beauty in that but what are some of the downsides to this lens as we view any sort of you know disorder or God's creation in general anything goes yes pardon you enable the lie exactly uh-huh no absolute truth.
1: You don't give them the help they, need.
0: they don't get the help they need. Exactly. In fact, you, you do the opposite. You celebrate it and draw other people into that disorder. Yeah. Somebody else over here. Say. Very good. <clears throat> and what we see then is the innumerable innumerable number of generate g- genders rather. You celebrate rather than get the proper help. And for a while, the um, United Nations. I forget what the, the the uh, uh, the department that tracks this, they started counting the number of genders. It started with six, I think, and then it started going up and up. And the last time I checked, it was uh, over sixty. Um, genders that they've identified. Uh, I, I don't even know how you give them the names. Uh, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. You can actually look it up online. Uh, and essentially, there are many in the culture saying, well, there's actually innumerable, innumerable number of genders. Rather than seeing that, both uh, the expressions may be different or sometimes the disorders um, need to be addressed rather than rather than celebrated. And so <clears throat> the important aspect to this is to understand Uh, that these three lenses what we want to take is the best out of all three of them that's really the balanced perspective and the biblical perspective of seeing um, God in both the integrity from the truth perspective, from the disability perspective that we're living a fallen creation and the diversity um, that we recognize and celebrate the differences the way God has created things but also not fall into the trap of the negative. And I think in general, in our midst, we would generally, <clears throat> the, some of the negatives here as well, as, as we celebrate diversity, most people would think, well, uh, you know, the, the, the right way is you grow up, you get married, you have kids, you become a Sunday school teacher, uh, you retire, and, uh, you know, that's the fulfilled life. And not recognizing that the Scripture gives lots of room for others who never do get married or have different ways of serving the Lord uh, in than in the traditional sense. And uh, they may not feel as valued as, they, as the scripture tells us that they should be valued. And uh, so we can struggle here on the diversity not being diverse enough, thinking that everyone has to fit a particular mold and putting up these gates and fences and walls and saying, you must fit within this. And if you're not, you're sort of rejected or not accepted. And so in that sense, we can learn a lot from uh, viewing things through this lens. Um, And so if you come away from this forum with just the truth aspects and now you have a bigger baseball bat that you can wield and when you talk to your neighbors and coworkers others are doing it, that's that's the wrong conclusion, right? We need to understand the truth so we understand it, see it as a disability and uh, help people walk through that with compassion and balancing that uh, truth and grace that was so well embodied in Jesus Christ. Um, So... (coughs) Where to get help. So uh, we already talked about this. Be careful on your source of advice, especially in this day and age. Remember the Walt Hayer story, the advice that he got led him way down this path that he completely destroyed his family, uh, affected his life, uh, and he wished he never uh, would have gone down that path. And so the Apostolic Christian Church Counseling and Family Services, this is run by the Sister Church. They have received uh, counseling in this area along with any other of the the, the, um, the, the sexuality uh, challenges that we face as a as a nation as a world today. Um, they have a great website and a phone service that you can call and get confidential professional help um, if you or your, or a loved one in your family is struggling with this or you have questions about it. Um, And I wanted to uh, highlight at the bottom here, for the vast majority it will fix itself Um, and provide encouragement, show compassion and provide the guidance necessary, especially for those who are young and who are maybe learning in school that they can choose their own gender or so and so came out and we've had uh, several people share with me some of the concerns that their kids are struggling with just because of what's happening in the school system or among their friends. Um, I'd like to uh, now take a few minutes for any questions in general. I have a few questions I want to go through to get your response, but I wanted to pause here uh, in case we run out of time. If you have any questions, comments, experiences that you'd like to share, from what you've gone through. Brother Bob, can we have the mic? Uh, uh, Brother Joe, can we run over the mic to Brother Bob there? Thanks. This is
4: um, just more of an observation that that this isn't just something that's going to affect people external to us and our friends and neighbors, that Mm -hmm. this is likely, even though we might not want to admit it or acknowledge it, likely to actually affect our children. Um... And so that this topic isn't just external. It's actually internal. And the challenge is going to be for us as parents is step one is going to be to deny it or to pretend it doesn't exist or to resist and just hope it goes away. And as I, it's maybe a question for you because you're the de facto expert being up there. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, but it, And it might not just be with gender identity but with other disorders as well. Where is the line between letting it flow, and just kind of work itself out versus reaching out for help. Um, And when should we do one or the other?
0: that's a great question. I don't think there is one answer to that because every child and every family is different. I think it's important to uh, sort of educate yourself, and I appreciate each one of you coming here today to understand this a little bit more, but this is really scratching the surface. And uh, if you as a family are really struggling with that, um, I encourage you, there there are the references that I uh, mentioned here at the beginning. Uh, There are a lot of really good references uh, that can help walk through that journey as well as the, the uh, counseling center to call them spend some time with them talk talk it through and they can help provide the right guidance for your particular situation any other comments or questions over here on the left
5: yeah just a, a com- t- two comments actually um, regarding brother Dan's comment about, uh, about depending on, on which experts you talk to um, personally, I'm of the belief that that there is, let's say, absolute truth on the subject, and so um, with regards to the authority that you go to to find truth, it doesn't particularly matter. What matters is what the psychological literature su- suggests, um, and and what the data actually is, and and there's the possibility that authorities on the subject are going to incorrect data, um, but that is is, um, able to be parsed out, um, if you are intuitive about the way that you're approaching it and asking about where the data is that they're coming from, um, and, and checking sources and so on. Um, and, and perhaps the buttress, uh, Brother Bob's comment about it. I was just taking a look at the psychological literature, um, just browsing through because I was curious uh, about the statistic that, that was brought up in that video about suicide rates. Um, and, and from what a very cursory scan says is that there is significantly higher suicide rates amongst people who struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that ought to be taken with some bit of seriousness. And, and perhaps that's a, an encouragement to, um, uh, on, uh, brother Bob's question to seek out help sooner rather than later regarding this because, um, well, if you value the life of the person that that is struggling with this, um, their struggles may be much deeper than you anticipate, so. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. Any other comments? Got one over here.
3: I work in a facility that applauds and promotes diversity. We have mandatory diversity um, education we have to go through and I'm struggling as a Christian when a trans comes in. Do I um, call them by their preferred pronoun or by the real one? What is my role as a Christian? How do I handle that?
0: Hmm. That's a great question. And uh, I think we'll have probably several different responses to that. Um, I, um, it was interesting as I was uh, talking with Brother Ed Yon about this last week. You know, he asked that same question, and he used a uh, scripture where um, it was Daniel when he's uh, referencing the king. He says, oh King, live forever." Think well. Why is he giving that address to the king? The king, a, can't live forever, and really only God can live forever. But in a sense, that was culturally acceptable to address the king in that way. And so, you know, you you could take it saying, well, in that sense, if somebody's asking to be addressed with that particular pronoun, you be compassionate and you um, address them in the way that is culturally acceptable, rather than offend them. Um, that's one perspective. Um, you have the other perspective which says, no, truth is, you know, biological, and I'm going to address you with, with your biological name. Um, I'm not here to tell you either one. I think each of you will have to come to your conclusion in, in each situation, and I'm happy to hear some feedback from those who may have a, a different perspective on that. Uh, there was one in the back there.
6: Uh, separate from the... The question that was asked,
3: I was thinking more um, on the side of education. I think it's very good for parents to be aware that if you don't teach your children about this, somebody else is going to. And you know, just as you would want to teach your children about the reproductive system in a way that's appropriate to their age and open up communication so that if they ever have questions, it won't be awkward for them to ask it you need to establish that as parents and be proactive because if you don't, somebody else is going to teach them and it's probably going to be a lie.
0: That's a very good point. Yeah, we definitely, as parents, we we have the responsibility to teach them proactively rather than what they pick up in the culture. Jesse.
7: So um, part of um, one of the questions she asked, do you uh, refer to them as what they ask? Um, You have to be careful as well with the current laws. Uh, We, in Ontario have, um, a law passed, um, and there's an actual, uh, incident where a Christian man called someone a biological male, and he was taken to court for it, and was forced to pay $55,000. Another case, there was a father whose, uh, son was transitioning, I believe, uh, into a woman, and the judge is forcing him to call her, him, a biological female. And there's also a law where, um, any foster or adopted children who, if they come to you and re- request to be um, changed their biological sex, uh, if you refuse, that child will be taken from your home and placed in a home where that is accepted. So um, the laws are going to affect the way we live, and where speaking truth is illegal uh, in some places, we have to be really careful and consider how this is going to affect us.
0: Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first time in history where truth, speaking truth was illegal. We can look in the biblical context and see the entire time where it was illegal, and they had to suffer the consequences for that. So thank you for sharing that. There was a comment in the back? Thanks for your presentation, Brother Gary. Quick question. Um, from a church perspective, you see churches that just fire and brimstone truth, right, based on this, Sodom and Gomorrah, you name it, and then you have Christian churches that are... Accepting and saying, you know what, it's okay. You can be like this, you can live like this, um, get married like this, live this lifestyle. Where do you see our church fit in that mix? And how do you see Christian churches in general gravitating? Do they go to the polar opposites, or is there a trend toward this middle where you accept them as they are with their sin, but deal with the sin and, and love the person behind it? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think I'm I'm an expert to be able to answer that. Um, I think uh, in our church, I think we're we're this is we're we're in its infancy in the sense that most of us are, you know, taking a second look at this and and appreciate the interest uh, here uh, this morning, and learning more about it. So from this, I I gather that there is a lot of um, desire to learn more about it, so we can respond in a biblical way. Uh, in general, I think our church over the course of history, uh, we have been much more suit through the integrity lens, as in we're viewing truth, and sometimes we can use it as a hammer, and people feel judged and, and, and uh, maligned in that sense, or labeled. Uh, and I think that's changed. I've seen that over the last you know, 30 years as a Christian here in our in our congregations, that we have become more compassionate. I think there's still a ways to go. Um, but uh, I I have seen God working in our midst in that way and uh, providing sources of uh, assistance and help and counseling for those that are going through various different kinds of disorder. Over here.
6: I was wondering, I um, have someone that I know who is a lesbian and um, I don't have contact with her very often, um, are the one thing we have in common is, um, my dog. But, um, but anyway, she was her foster mom, like bringing her up to be a service dog. But anyway, um, how do you, how do you lovingly tell someone that they're like, that their tendency is sinful? How do you lovingly, because like, if somebody has a problem with, An addiction, that's something they want to get out of, you hope. If someone has a problem, you know, stealing things, that's against the law. If someone, you know, all these big sins are usually looked on as bad in society, except for this one. And if you're not accepting of it, you're not loving. So, how can you come across loving to someone who? Because I I don't want to not associate with her because she's a lesbian. Every you know, they're sinners, right? Mm -hmm. They need the Lord. But if anyone has any suggestions, I'm all ears.
0: Okay. Yeah, we have a comment over here. Uh, Linda has a suggestion.
3: I just read a book By Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, and it's called The Secret uh, Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Okay? And this was a tenured professor at Syracuse University who was a lesbian and living that lifestyle. And uh, I recommend this book. Um, She's now a converted Christian, she's not
0: a reformed lesbian.
3: And um, I can give you that information after. It's a wonderful, wonderful book.
0: Thank you. We'll have one room for one more comment in the back.
2: Just um, in reference to a previous uh, question about how do you, you, you call somebody he, she, you know, when you're working with them. Mm-hmm. I had an employee that I hired who was a transsexual sort of in the conversion process. Um, and I would always reference them as their name. Sam it was just just by their name not he she just Sam so that's sort of how I you know um, dealt with that situation
0: okay yeah thank you for sharing that I'll just leave you with a couple of questions here uh, where Jesus said all men cannot receive this saying, save to whom it is given for there are some eunuchs which were born so from their motherhood there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men and there may be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he that is able to receive it let him receive it is Jesus affirming a third gender here what do you think eunuch, a eunuch is a castrated male so they don't, they will appear different. They don't have the, the uh, testosterone that's produced um, as part of their biology, <clears throat> biological makeup. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's highlighting here that there is a distinction. And uh, for my, myself personally, I would say, no, this is not a third gender. This is still a male. Um, but he has, in a sense, received hormonal treatment by the absence of the hormone. And, uh, you know, throughout the Scripture, the Old Testament, for thousands of years, this was practiced. And so, in a sense, I never sort of viewed it that way until sort of now thinking about where we're now doing it in hormonal treatment. We don't call it castration in, that, in the way they did it, fortunately, but now hormonal therapy is accomplishing that very same thing. And, uh, what about uh, where it says for in the resurrection neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels of God in heaven. Is this Jesus saying that abolishing binary gender is one closer step to heaven? Because in heaven we won't necessarily, will be as the angels which as we understand don't have gender. And so some in the community that would say we're Christians, see the Bible says that gender doesn't matter. That uh, that's, uh, this is a higher form. That male and female is a lower form. You can get, once you get sort of this fluid, gender fluidity that we can just, uh, that's one closer step to heaven because that's God's ultimate design. And uh, any response to that? This is, you're talking about life on earth versus... Right. We're talking a totally different context here. And so I would say, no, this is not a correct scripture to say that gender fluidity is biblical. No, it's not. <laughs> um, it's very clear that God made male and female. And so, yeah, we just talked about this uh, question here uh, that was brought up. So uh, thank you for your participation. We're a few minutes over time. And if you have any questions, further questions, feel free to come up here. Lord bless you.